Hello from the ABA Mid-Year Meeting 2019 in Las Vegas, Nevada. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Matthew Shurka. Alfonso David. Jocelyn Samuels. And we're on the road with Legal Talk Network. And we're back. Thank you so much for joining us. We're closing things out today with our final interview from Las Vegas. And I've got a wonderful panel of guests joining me today. We do have a bit of a sobering topic today. So what I want to do is get your guest bios first, and then we'll get into it. So Matthew, can I uh, turn to you first? Yeah. So I am a conversion therapy survivor, which means I went through conversion therapy. And we use the word survivor just because of how high the suicide rate are for those individuals. For those of you who don't know what conversion therapy is, it is anyone who who attempts to alter another person's sexual orientation, gender identity, or expression. So specifically, we are mostly referring to licensed professionals or therapists or religious figures who try to convert, so to speak, LGBT youth. Having gone through that for five years, I had gone through my own coming out process And in 2012, I joined the National Center for Lesbian Rights. And with them, I co-founded the Born Perfect campaign, which is a national campaign to end conversion therapy uh, with the support of lawyers and other organizations working by my side. All right, so I'm going to follow up on your experiences in a minute here. Let me uh, get to the other panelists here. So Alfonso, how about you? Where do you work? What do you do? So my name is Alfonso David. I am currently the chief counsel to Governor Andrew Cuomo in New York. I have been practicing law for quite some time. Prior to serving that position, I was his chief policy advisor on civil rights. And then I ran the attorney general's office, Civil Rights Bureau. And prior to that, I was a staff attorney at Lambda Legal. Excellent, excellent. And Jocelyn? I'm Jocelyn Samuels. I'm currently the executive director at the Williams Institute, which is a think tank affiliated with the UCLA School of Law that focuses on research and legal analysis related to LGBT issues. Prior to that, in one of my many, many jobs, I was the director of the Office for Civil Rights at the Federal Department of Health and Human Services and also a uh, political appointee in the Civil Rights Division at the Department of Justice. Okay, so Matthew, now I'm turning to you. So obviously you've been through this conversion therapy and uh, you survived it. And so uh, just share with our audience, uh, there's probably a lot of people out there. I have to admit, I did not know what it was when I first saw it on the the agenda for the ABA mid-year meeting. It's probably going to be some other people that don't know. So in your own words, uh, walk us through that experience. Conversion therapy is an umbrella term. You know, it's really any attempt when a therapist or figure, religious figure tries to change or convert a teenager's life, anything that's LGBTQ to heterosexual. Um, so there's no one way this happens. Uh, historically, people may know about like electric shock therapy and aversive forms of therapy and physical abuse. Yes, we still hear stories like that, uh, but most conversion therapy is done today through talk therapy or just how you imagine a therapy session would be where it's one individual sitting with a therapist or group sessions and so forth. So I'm 30 years old now. And when I was 16, had come out to my father and my father had never heard of conversion therapy himself. Um, And as warm and welcoming as he was to, you know, 
ensure that he loved me no matter what, as he said. Um, he still asked around for therapists for different advice on how he could, I don't want to say he was looking for a solution, you know, sort of like taking in with, oh my God, is my son really gay? And he met a therapist who told him that there is no such thing as homosexuality and that um, there is an opportunity for me to actually be straight. A lot of these conversion therapists do target youth. They believe that the younger you are, the easier it is. The less sexual experience you have, the easier it is. And so I began this process of conversion therapy. Most conversion therapists today follow a format of trauma is the cause of anything LGBTQ that has deviated from a heterosexual norm. And it can be anything from, you know, not getting along with your father, overbearing mother, which is, which is a popular one, or something really serious like being molested or raped as a child. Um, but anywhere in, those, in that spectrum of things, that, not spectrum, but range of things that could have happened, a therapist will try to find the trauma and they just believe that if you heal that trauma, you will naturally begin to have your attractions for the opposite sex. Uh, in my case, I, uh, I really didn't have any significant trauma and it was almost like I was creating problems that I had when I was younger that weren't really there. So from that, starting from that, I was just like digging for something that I really couldn't find, but I believe that conversion therapy was something I needed to do in order to save myself and I trusted my, the advice of my father and the advice of this therapist. And, it was um, you know, a lot more damaging and traumatizing than I could have ever imagined. Um, in total, I spent five years of conversion therapy. Um, I was in treatment in four different states. Uh, I guess I'll just do like a, a bullet form <laughs> of what the experience was, which is um, I had to learn, according to my therapist, what ma uh, male and female roles were, sort of like a gender training. Um, I wasn't allowed to speak to my mother and sisters for three years. And the, the purpose of that was to either defeminize me from a behavioral standpoint and to make sure that I did not see women as my peers, but I saw them as the opposite sex I would eventually be attracted to. And I needed to make sure that I understood, as my therapist would explain, that males are my peers and I need to understand who I am as a male and my masculinity. I left conversion therapy when I was 21, lost and, and distraught uh, and, and traumatized. Uh, I went through the process of actually going to therapy for the first time, actually actual therapy and understanding um, what I had just gone through. Um, and I was able to come out again at age 23 and I began advocating when I was 24. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, and so uh, obviously this was a tough experience for you and um, you came out on the other side and since I guess... Uh, what was that like? I mean, so you're in for five years, people are telling you uh, a significant portion of who you are is wrong. And then all of a sudden, what, what was it that uh, made you stop going? What was, what was the light switch that went on that said that uh, this isn't working? Um, I need to take a different path. This is not part of my life. Like what, what was it that eventually, I guess, clarified it for you? Um, there were two specific things. One was Every male individual, because as I'm a male, as again, my, the other males uh, who were guiding me through this, every other male who had gone through conversion therapy that I was introduced to explained that although they had married a woman and had children, they all admitted that they still had their same-sex attractions. 
that they were still gay, essentially. And I actually, I actually never met any man in my entire time in conversion therapy that actually, quote unquote, converted uh, into heterosexuality. And it, it, you know, made me realize I'm just modifying my behavior. I'm, I'm really treating my same-sex attraction as a disease. Sort of, it's very similar to um, any program that you go through addiction and to understand how not to act on your sexual desires and so forth. And that was not something, I guess I was strong enough, as hard as I did try during those five years, I realized um, the promise that was made at the beginning was not actually there anymore. Uh, the second thing I would say is that a lot of the therapists could not, a lot of the therapists looked like they weren't upholding what they said was gonna happen, which is that they never showed me that they had changed anyone in their life when they said they had. Um, I w and you also start to realize a lot of these men are former patients themselves. There is a pattern of either religious figures are doing this or gay men who now say they are ex-gay men become conversion therapists as well. And this is really just like a self-homophobic issue that is societal and, and self-homophobic. I think if that makes sense. Um, and seeing those two things after five years of never actually meeting anyone that's changed, understanding these therapists are taking advantage of people's, my parents' money, my own, and they themselves were confused. I was strong enough. I wasn't ready to come out, but I was strong enough to walk away. So, Joss, I'd like to turn the microphone to you. I, I understand that there's uh, some reporting and some statistics and some figures out there that we can share of people that have gone through a similar experience as Matthew. Absolutely. And the first thing that I'd note is that major medical associations have virtually uniformly recognized that this therapy is at best ineffective and more likely harmful to those who are subjected to it. And as Matthew said, treating homosexuality as if it is a disease that needs to be cured is unethical. And I'm happy to report, and as Alfonso will uh, tell you in more detail, unlawful in a number of states that have acted on the practice. At the Williams Institute, we did a series of analyses to estimate the number of people in the country who have been subjected to conversion therapy and the number who are at risk of being subjected to it in the future if states or the federal government doesn't ban the practice. And what we discovered, of course, is that what Matthew went through is far from a unique experience. In fact, we estimated that there are 700,000 people, just short of 700,000 people, who have been subjected to conversion therapy in their lifetimes. And that about half of those, or 350,000 adolescents, who were subjected to it before they turned 18. We further estimated that in states that did not, at the time we did the analysis, ban the practice, an additional 20,000 young people, teenagers between the ages of 13 and 17, would be subjected to conversion therapy if their states did not act to protect them. And that, of course, is conversion therapy as practiced by licensed medical providers. There are an additional 57,000 or so who we estimated would be subjected to this by religious or spiritual advisors. 
since the time that we issued our report, which was in January of 2018, there are now 15 states that have banned licensed medical providers from engaging in conversion therapy. And we estimate that the additional states have ended up protecting about a thousand additional young people from this really harmful and abusive practice. Now, I will say, not to steal his thunder, that Alfonso has an exciting announcement, breaking news about what happened in New York State yesterday, and our estimates do not take account of the fact that New York now bans conversion therapy. So I anticipate that there will be dozens of other young people who are similarly protected by this really concerted action that New York just took yesterday. Okay, so before we move over to Alfonso, and I definitely want to hear about this announcement, just a couple of quick follow-up sure. uh, questions. And so this because it's a new topic to me, and I heard licensed medical provider. And so my understanding is that uh, in terms of that, you know, uh, this should be confidential information. So how are those numbers that you're, that you're starting to gathered? And then uh, follow-up to that, when you say licensed medical provider, who does that include? So licensed medical providers can be anyone who is licensed by the state to provide mental health services or physical health services. So it can be doctors. It can be psychologists. It can be social workers who are cl licensed clinical social workers. And, you know, there is a huge universe of individuals who provide important mental health services to people across the country. But what a number of these laws make clear is that if these licensed providers engage in conversion therapy, they are at risk of losing their licenses as a result because it is not an approved therapy. With regard to how we uh, derived the numbers, we have done various surveys that enabled us to calculate the number of LGBT people who have been subjected to conversion therapy and the number who uh, were subjected to it prior to turning 18. And we applied those numbers to the percentages of LGBT people in the country and then to the percentages of LGBT people in each of the states that have not yet banned the practice to be able to calculate the numbers who we could anticipate would be subjected to this before they turn 18. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, Alfonso, turn the microphone to you and reestablishing thunder. So there's been some developments in the uh, the legal sphere for this. And so obviously we just heard about an announcement, but can you share that with us and, uh, and maybe give us some other factoids uh, with some other states and, and things that you're hearing with your ear to the ground? Sure. So as Jocelyn said, conversion therapy is has been rejected by the American Psychological Association, the American Medical Association, um, as a, a practice that actually causes significant psychological and physical harm on minors. The state of New York, Governor Cuomo specifically, signed legislation yesterday that bans the practice of conversion therapy throughout the state of New York. New York now becomes the 15th state to ban conversion therapy. So we have 15 states as well as the District of Columbia uh, that have banned the practice starting in 2012. 
And essentially, these statutes uh, say that medical professionals cannot engage in the practice of conversion therapy, and if they do, they could lose their licenses. This is a very important issue because we're talking about young people, and we're talking about young people that in many cases don't have the capacity to consent. And their parents are making decisions for them, their legal guardians are making decisions for them that effectively mean that their sexual orientations are being treated as disorders. And the American Psychological Association, the American Medical Association, decades ago concluded that homosexuality is not a disease, is not a disorder, and having an attraction to someone of the same sex certainly is not. And when we say conversion therapy, just to put a finer point on it, we're talking about, in some instances, shock therapy. And many young people have gone through this practice, and our objective is to stop it, because it is what I call junk science. And there's no room for it, and there should be no room for it in any state. We now have 15 states in the District of Columbia, and we're hoping that additional states take the mantle and pass legislation to protect young people. So um, as the medical profession has advanced over time, some practices that would today be deemed barbaric, you know, are in fact outlawed. And so I just, you know, hearing that there's 15 states that have that have said, if you practice conversion therapy or you subject patients to conversion therapy, you lose your license. Is there talk about criminalizing this type of therapy? Is Are you hearing somewhere from those 15 states or, or some of the other states that haven't quite come around yet? Well, I think there have been discussions about criminalizing this practice, but I think what we've done here is apply the same paradigm or rubric that we've applied in other instances where medical professionals cannot engage in certain practices and if they do, they lose their licenses. This is no, no different. And I think there are significant considerations that we would have to think about if we were to consider this a criminal act. But certainly you could, in certain instances, physical assault, abuse could be considered criminal in nature. But from our perspective, we're focusing on from the medical professionals, you know, licensing perspective. You're engaging in a practice that you're not authorized to engage in, so you could lose your license as a medical practitioner. But you could also be potentially subject to criminal sanctions, depending on what the nature of the conversion therapy is. Okay, so in our pregame, we talked about uh, part of the reason that you all are here to build awareness of the issue and topic. And I understand there's been some feature films made to build awareness on this. And so I just wanted to leave that out to our volunteer to discuss. Well, I guess I, I would say laws are critical to ensure that young people are protected from this pernicious practice. But it is also a really important aspect of ensuring that we provide the protections and support that young people really need, that we change the hearts and minds of people around the country. And I think that's where movies that are in theaters and are being seen by people across the country can help to humanize and to really bring home the trauma that this kind of therapy inflicts. Matthew talks eloquently about what he went through. He's only one guy. He's in Las Vegas today. I've heard him in DC. I've heard him in New York. He's been in San Francisco. But he does this one retail occasion at a time. When you have movies that are in movie theaters around the country, it 
accelerates the conversation. It helps people to understand that these are young kids who are being subjected to really abusive forms of therapy that do not work and that they are just the same as their heterosexual peers in wanting to be loved, to belong, to accept themselves, and to get acceptance from their communities. And I think that's a very important aspect of ultimately ensuring that we eradicate this practice. I agree with Jocelyn. I think these two films and others that hopefully will come will not only help us change the hearts and minds of people throughout the country, but it will also help us educate them. Because unfortunately, there are many people that are not even aware that this practice exists. They're not aware of the consequences of conver that conversion therapy has on young people. And I think these films can help achieve that objective because we need to make sure that we increase awareness. And we also, in doing so, have to hopefully change hearts and minds. So my, uh, my uh, second last question is for Matthew. So uh, Matthew, you've been through this, you have life experience, uh, you're out publicly speaking on this topic. And so if there's someone out there that's been, that's experienced this type of uh, therapy and is hurting, uh, is looking for answers, uh, can you leave them with some advice? Wow. <laughs> Usually it's a case by case because it all depends where they are, specifically one, how old are they? Sometimes if it's a minor, the minor might be really stuck if they're actually in a, a facility of some kind, like in a conversion therapy facility, or if they're an adult, there's different options. But I think, I think if I made a general statement about uh, for, any, for any individual who's in that situation, it's that they need to be validated and receive affirmation for who they are as not, it's not, a, affirmation for who they are is not wrong. And there's not, there's nothing wrong with them. They're not sick. There's not a disease. If they're coming from a religious background. They can be their own identity and have a religious, and have religion or their faith that, as they wish. Um, and that may mean finding a safer environment and so forth. But I think it has to start with knowing that they are validated. Yeah, I think if I think back to myself and all of the conversion therapy survivors I've met. And it seems to be like a lifelong struggle if you've been through conversion therapy is validating yourself. You know, uh, I'm in a committed relationship now and that took years for me just to get there after going through five years of training that if I ever did anything like that, there was really something wrong with me. Um, so like in and of itself, that's an accomplishment. Uh, and then we all relate to life norms in such weird ways when you've gone through something like conversion therapy. So. For anyone who's listening to this uh, and has been through conversion therapy or is stuck about changing who they are because they think there's something wrong, I validate you. Well, that's well said, uh, Matthew. So I guess where I want to leave it here is that uh, obviously this is a big topic. There's lots to say. Um, we don't have uh, all the time uh, that, uh, that we need to cover. So what I'd like to do is there might be some people out there listening. They'll have some questions. And so if you guys wouldn't mind, uh, could you leave some contact information for our listeners? If they want to reach out, how can they find you? Why don't we start with Jocelyn? So my email is not intuitive, but here it is. It's Samuels, S-A-M-U-E-L-S at law.ucla.com. 
edu, and I welcome anyone to be in touch with me. Alfonso. Uh, you can reach me at Alfonso, A-L-P-H-O-N-S-O, dot David, D-A-V-I-D, at exec, E-X-E-C, dot N-Y, dot G-O-V. Matthew. Go to bornperfect.com. You can also check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and to reach me directly, uh, my name is Matthew with one T. So I'm a one T Matthew, and my email is Matthew at bornperfect.com. Well, we've reached the end of the road for today's episode, but I want to thank our guests for joining us today. And I also want to thank our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting app. We'll see you next time for another episode of On the Road, Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook. Or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thank you.